0: Lucas McCurdy here, senior living fan and co-host of Bridge the Gap, the senior living podcast. Just want to send a great thank you out to all of our listeners for supporting us over so many years and seasons. It's really remarkable to see how far Bridge the Gap has come. And it's really come this far because of you who support and listen to our channel and our network. Today, you're gonna get a special repost from a great leader, Anthony Ormsby Hale. This was a podcast we recorded a few months back and we got so many great comments on it. We thought it was worth another listen. So if you've listened to this before, lean in again. But if you missed it the first time, this is a great opportunity to catch it again. So as you're out commuting, walking the dog, or working out, we want you to lean in and listen to these great leadership lessons from Anthony Ormsby Hale here on the Bridge Gap Network.
1: Welcome to season six of Bridge the Gap, a podcast dedicated to informing, educating, and influencing the future of housing and services for seniors. Powered by sponsors AccuShield, Align, Nick Map Vision, ProCare HR, Hamilton CapTel, ServiceMaster, Patriot Angels, The Bridge Group Construction, and Salinity, and produced by Salinity Marketing.
0: Welcome to Bridge the Gap podcast, the senior living podcast with Josh and Lucas. We've got a great guest on today. One of our Bridge the Gap contributors and Bridge the Gap ambassador. We want to welcome back to the show, Anthony Ormsby Hale. He is with Civitas. Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Lucas. Thanks, Josh. It's great to see you guys again. Great to be back on the podcast. Great
0: to see you as well. And you know what? I noticed you have a relatively new title, Senior VP Strategic Operations. Did I? Maybe that went over my head. Congratulations on that.
2: Thank you. I am honestly amazed that they let me do this every single day. It's the best job in the world. So we made that change back in October, just kind of recognizing. As we're coming out of the pandemic and looking towards you know, long-term, sustainable success for us at Civitas, having somebody who can help collaborate and build um, coalitions across departments because of my sales, ops, HR background, um, it helps me speak the language. The only thing I tell people I've never done before is, is be a nurse, although I have incredible respect for those folks. It's been exciting to, to really play a pivotal role in our um, objective and key result process and just making sure that we're working towards what is the Civitas 5, 10, 15 years uh, from now look like and how do we put those steps into motion right now? Wow.
1: Well, yeah. you are doing some uh, transformational things. Uh, we have loved following you and your contributions to the network over the last couple of years. One of our first personal favorites to follow uh, on LinkedIn and on socials for all the content you put out and uh, your thought leadership. But with the transformational topic, that's what we were going to talk about today and transformational change and transformational leadership. And if you could dive in on that, Anthony, and kind of give our audience and us a background on what that even means.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's what I have tried to do, especially for our teams internally at Civitas is take those buzzwords like transformational leadership and say, how do you do something like that on a daily, weekly, monthly and, and yearly basis? And I. I go back to you know when I first became an executive director, one of the things that I kind of naively thought was, oh, I'm an executive director. I've got the big office now. I can just do whatever I want and make any change possible. And then I would make these changes and my employees would say, eh, sorry, buddy, we're not really going to let you just do that. You can't just snap your fingers and make change happen. So I really became interested over the course of those years of how do organizations change? And then, of course, we all experienced the same change of COVID. Um, COVID happened to us, but operators who had what I call this changeability or this change power decided that they weren't going to let the pandemic really narrate what that change looked like for them. So they took ownership of that, they put steps in place to really innovate in that time period. And of course, as we're coming out of that and our consumer has changed, expectations have changed, ownership, investment expectations have changed, It's how do we continue to build these agile organizations? And so what do you do regardless of the size of your organization? If you're a a small, you know, one facility or one community operator or, you know, 36, 35, like Civitas or, you know, hundreds, like, you know, some of the national players as well, it's, you know, what are you doing to make sure that your organization can pivot? And what that looks like is, Um, I was on a call recently um, with David Sawyer from TSO Life and just reviewing the program. I hadn't seen the software in a couple of years, so I wanted to take a look at it. And I had been looking for this idea um, or this program where operators could take survey feedback in and you get the survey feedback. But then I, as an executive director or a regional director, could... Hit, turn that into an action plan, I could then respond and kind of manage, you know, what did I do to resolve this customer's concern about laundry issues or food and beverage issues, and have it in a central platform, because there's nothing that I hate more than taking information from one system, putting it in an Excel document, or, you know, just trying to navigate what that whole plan looks like. And his eyes lit up and his entire team just immediately jumped into we could build that we can do this. For me, that was like a great example of an organization that was ad, agile because it wasn't. Well, that's not on our roadmap. We can consider that in a couple of years, or what's the feasibility of it? They just, for them, nothing was was off limits. And and so, and I've seen operators and senior living organizations do that. Um, so that's the best example of of what I know recently of what organizations that have a high change power um, or high changeability um, ability looks like for them.
1: As you start talking with your teams and you are you've obviously dug in deep on transformational leadership topic i've heard you mention a couple of times these words of change power um i think and we were even talking a little bit before the show you mentioned a term about change power index what exactly does that mean what you break that down a little bit more for us
2: yeah, so it is the the ability of an organization to change at the individual employee level, the team level, community, region, and then, of course, organizationally. And the reason that you know we look at how do you measure the change power index is I think about it in terms of how easy is it to enact a policy change. And it's different when I say enact policy change from I can write a policy on a piece of paper and I can send it out to our communities and I can say, do this right now. Um, in reality, it's probably going to take a couple of weeks or maybe even months for some communities to actually adopt that change. It's really going back to kind of the fundamentals of, you know, Potter's eight steps to change management. How do I communicate this vision? How do I identify a need, obtain a buy-in, overcome resistance? I look at it, I've been telling people lately that anyone from Civitas who's listening to this podcast is going to laugh uh, right now because I've been telling people to go and watch um, the video, my iceberg is melting. Uh, it's a really great story of a colony of penguins who are living on an iceberg, and they realize that their iceberg is melting. And it goes through their entire process of how do we navigate this change. And so there are some people on the iceberg who refuse to admit that it's melting, they say, Oh, no, everything's fine. We're all good. And then, you know, no need to have any change. Then you have other people who go out and seek change. And then you have people who stay to prepare for that change. And so it's a great, you know, great organizational example of why that matters. And so when I look at, you know, kind of speed to change, you know, how well do ideas get adopted? Um, Are there any barriers in your organization that keep employees from coming to you and saying, hey, this is an idea that I think you need to consider? Um, And organizations do that informally and formally. Um, and, And one of the best ways that I know how to kind of measure that is. Josh, you have communities, when you walk into your communities, are your employees afraid to come up to you and say, Hey, this is an idea that I have that would make my job more efficient. Um, Or, you know, sometimes when we talk about that, and a lot of people think about what can I do to make my job easier. Um, And sometimes the question really is, what can I do to make my job more efficient so I can do things that really matter Um, versus just less work, it's more meaningful work. So we look at kind of how do we balance that? So you know, how accessible are people in organizations who can actually make decisions? How interested are they in change? And how are they motivated? If your, um, you know, compensation or your bonuses are based on very strict rigid measures that are controlled one way, there's less incentive for for managers or for leaders to you know, embrace change. But if you're, if you have that flexibility within your organization, and and Great Place to Work has a lot of research about this, where they look at how can organizations uh, foster this innovative atmosphere where if I wanted to make a change, and I came to you and I had a proposal, is that is it subjectively considered? Or, um, you know, one of the things that we do at Civitas that I really value is, if I wanted to buy a software program or if I wanted to buy something, we have a template for a business case. And so I can go through that business case and it outlines where there's what's the SWOT of our current process? What's the feasibility, the pricing? Um, so it's a little bit more objective and it kind of boils down. Oh, well, I met this marketer at a networking event and I really like them. So let's buy their product. It's here's the need that I'm trying to solve. So that's probably a long winded answer. Hopefully that helped answer a little some of that, but. It goes back to, you know, how well do you as as an organization, um, accept new ideas, consider new ideas, and then what's the process like internally for you to change. So then that looks differently based on your size. Of course, we have regulations. So that always has an impact in in for us as well. So people should know about the ability and how to make change happen and and have a, a voice in that process.
1: Well, you know, one of the things um, that strikes me is, obviously, we, we talk about this a lot. We have a large spectrum of listeners, thought leaders on the Bridge the Gap Network. And so there's people listening to this right now at various positions from C-suite, owners of small to large organizations, as well as middle management, uh, community level management. And I think at each level, we can think about what does transformational leadership and and change look like for whatever my my scope of influence is. Thinking of it from that lens, what would be a few systematic type of processes that someone could take away that's listening to this that they may think, well, I can't do, be a transformational leader because I'm not in the C-suite or I'm not a VP or whatever. But I've, I feel like from hearing you talk, there are some basic ingredients that no matter what level you are, you can create this this transformation in leadership with the circle of influence you have whether that's huge or whether that's small can you kind of give uh, a few takeaways to no matter what the listener is some things that they can begin no matter what the position to do today
2: yeah absolutely and i really you know you can boil it down to what i call three tactics for transformational leadership and the first one is working um, the edges of your organization. And what I mean by that is having a close relationship with your customers, your employees, your vendors, other stakeholders, so that you understand and can even get to a point where you anticipate their changes. Uh, When we focus on the center of our organization, we become very tunnel visioned. And you know, I'm solving the problem that's in front of me right now. Um, But when I have a conversation with a food and beverage vendor, and they say, Hey, we're seeing an increase in you know, the order of organic produce in this market, does that mean that my consumers are expecting me to have more organic foods available to them? Because we all know food and beverage is a hot button issue, no matter which level of of care that you provide. Or, you know, if you have a vendor that reaches out and says, hey, we're really struggling to provide this, you know, equipment or this thing, and we know that you order a lot of it, um, you may need to order more like that. And you can process through. Do I really need to, or is this a salesperson who's trying to make their end of quarter numbers? And you know, maybe creating a little sense of urgency for me. But what I love is, you know, tactfully as you know, if you're a community sales director, an executive director, even a regional VP of operations, it's creating opportunities for you to directly engage with your consumer. And I was in a community yesterday um, participating in our wellness director training, so I had a great opportunity to meet with a group of new nurses coming in. Um, I had a couple minutes in between calls, and it's kind of one of those where you ever find yourself where it's like, I don't have enough time to start something new, but, you know, I've got to get something done. So I actually just went right next door and joined one of the resident activities that was happening. And it was a writer's club that this group of community residents had started where the residents are in the process of each writing their own biography. And they were sharing, they were reading chapters of that. And by just sitting in and listening for 15 minutes, I learned so much about the demographic of this community of you know, a significant number of them had traveled internationally. And so one of the things that I was leaving the community, and I talked with the chef manager was like, Hey, why don't we do like a tour of foods program? And so all of the countries that these residents have visited, let's do like a different dining special each week where we can highlight the culinary experience from that. Um, And she's like, I had no idea that that was even something our residents would like, and I don't know if they'll like it or not. And hopefully, the chef is great at cooking, you know, international food. Um, but it's something where that's a little bit different than your standard, you know, three meals a day that's on your menu that may look like you know all of the other menus of, of your competitors. But you can go back to, and I love talking with our sales directors and just asking them what objections are you hearing right now from people who are saying, "I can't move in because because of this," because if I'm sitting in a sales strategy meeting. And I say, Oh, well, our, you know, pipeline's slowing down because people don't want to sell their homes right now. That may or may not be true. That's probably influenced by the headline of an article I saw this morning. But if I can go and talk to a group of sales directors, and they're saying, No, people don't want to move right now, because they're afraid of a potential COVID increase or something like that. I know how to adjust our marketing strategy with our team to give them the information and the tools that they need. And I probably would have never known that. So that's kind of working the edges of your organization getting really clued in. One of the things that I'm terrified of is that I'm going to become one of those people who says, Well, back in my day, you know, when I was an executive director, nobody wants to hear that they don't care, you know, about that, because it was pre, you know, pre COVID, it was, you know, years and years ago. So just staying connected in and and I think it's a little bit different, you can very clearly see residents when they look at you and they say, Oh, here's that corporate guy walking through our building again, versus Oh, that's Anthony, he comes in, he, you know, he plays with our dogs and, you know, ask about our grandkids and things like that. So it sets a different tone. And you you become a much more effective leader because you're aware of the the needs of your consumer. So that's working the edges of your organization. The other one is sharing leadership more systematically. And and what I've been really focused on, especially with our regional directors, because I see this across our industry. When I go to events and I talk to, you know, regional directors of operations, regional directors of wellness, it's this mentality of, if I don't do it, it's not going to get done, or it's not going to get done well. And so how do we as leaders, you know, whether at, you know, a regional district area community level, um, pass on the information that we have to other folks in the the group. And that's why, you know, thank you guys for letting me do the, the mentorship series as a contributor, because it was so important to me to say, there's only a small group of us in the industry who have information, and we need to get that information out to more and more individuals. So and I always tell our teams this, it's the only way that you get to take PTO without getting a million phone calls. And and when I say that people, it, they buy into it, because who doesn't want to go on vacation and not get disturbed? I mean, I know I'm tired of getting, you know, griped out by my spouse, because I'm, you know, sneaking off to check emails and stuff in the evening. It's like, okay, let's, you know, unplug and take some time to do that. So You can do that by, you know, making sure it, you know, it does take some discipline, because sometimes it is just easier to do things yourself, but to stop and say, Okay, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to grab somebody and I'm going to walk them through that. And the community I visited yesterday, they have a brilliant executive director. I'm really proud of her. Um, it's, she was promoted from a wellness director to an executive director with us at Civitas. And she came in and she goes, well, is there any feedback that you have for me? And I was like, yeah, actually, you know, I need you to get your financial review notes in on time next month because you were late this month. And we have that relationship where I can just say, hey, this is what I need from you. And she said, Yeah, I was late. But I actually was late because I was training my administrative assistant on how to enter in the notes as well. So now she can do it if I'm gone. And I was like, perfect. That's all I needed to know. Super proud of you for doing that. And now we just created a more flexible workplace. And, and that executive director just became a little bit more agile because she can delegate more tasks to her teams. So I was I was very impressed by that empowering people to come up to you and say, Hey, Josh, hey, Lucas, this is what I need to be more effective in my my role. And it gets them thinking about what can I do to contribute to the long term success of, of our organization. Um, one of the things that we've started doing at Civitas is the objective and key result planning process. And I talked a little bit about that in my contributor Wednesday series. But Uh, We've also started sharing weekly updates across the company of, hey, here's where we are. For example, this morning on our daily team huddle, we talked about where are we with our controllable move outs? Here's where we are for this month. What can we do to prevent that number from increasing? And it's great to have an entire company focused on our objective of enhancing our financial performance. And there are other ones too, enhancing our customer experience, our employee experience. And we rotate those out. But I don't know a CEO or a founder out there who doesn't want his or her entire organization focused on what can we do to enhance financial performance or enhance customer experience. And the way you do that is by getting people to talk about it and other people. So it's not just Anthony or Josh or just Lucas. It's years and years from now, if I ever left, other people would know how to carry on that practice. So it creates a a culture within a community or within an organization where it's not just dependent on one person. And that's really how you cement organizational change. And that's transformational leadership when it lives beyond you.
1: Wow. So some really good strategies and tools and concepts to begin this transformational leadership style, no matter where you are in an organization. As we round out the show, Anthony, I wanted to just ask you a question um, of, of your advice that last uh, topic you were talking about is dealing with empowerment. And I think we all want to be able to do that, right? It sounds good. And we're like, we need to do that, but it can be scary because you're thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm empowering someone else to do something. Does that mean I'm losing control? What would be some things that you would say to that person uh, or maybe some ways that they can empower someone, but maybe with, healthy boundaries or expectations? What, what would you say to that person?
2: Yeah, and this is um, one that I'm I'm in a huge process of learning myself. A lot of our organizations, again, even small operators have the ability to do this, um, is to use data available in your organization to help you stay on top of things because there are a million uh, different items that happen in, in all of the businesses that we operate. In a specific example I can give you, one of the teams that I oversee um, is in, is responsible for our internal customer service tickets related to um, our financial management platform. And so every single morning we use Domo as our business intelligence platform. So I get a report from Domo, it's sent to my email and it says, here's how many open tickets that you have. Um, and so I can see, are our tickets increasing? Are they decreasing? You know Where do we need to pull resources from to make that happen? And a couple of days ago, I kind of noticed, you know, our number of tickets were in, was increasing. Um, and really, they, at this time of the month, they should have been decreasing because we're kind of preparing for a month in close and close and doing that. So I sent over to our team lead. And I said, Hey, do you need anything to help get these tickets resolved? And she emailed me back. And she goes, I didn't know you looked at this every day. And I was like, Yeah, every day at 8am, I get it, I get this, I get a couple of different reports from our system. And that just kind of triggers me to know, hey, is this okay? Do I need to follow up with someone about this? So it's just setting that accountability with them of, you know, one, I've already set the expectation of, you know, we have an average response time that we're expecting, but now they know this is something that you look at. And it's kind of cliche. I had a, a, an old CEO of mine who used to say, inspect what you expect. And I, you know, and when I was an executive director, it really annoyed me that that's, you know, that was what he said, because I was like, oh, you're going to be like digging through the back ends of my community and all this stuff. But as a manager it makes more sense to me now to do that and but there's no way that i could go into you know 12 different systems and look at that so if you have the ability and you can do this there are free systems out there there are really great you know tools that are available that will just push reports information to you and it's not like big info it's it's one email that says you have x number of tickets available or you have x number of move outs i call them nudges Uh, because they push me to do something else, they push me to do another action. But we're also starting to incorporate that with our executive directors and other folks. So information that I want to make sure that somebody sees on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, we can we can systemically send that out. We've had the conversation, we've set expectations, they know that I'm following up, but they also know, hey, if you get an influx of tickets, I've been known to jump in and help process tickets, Um, because it's helpful for me to also understand you know, is our system actually user friendly? Do I need to go back to the vendor and say, Hey, this is really, you, you need to update your software here, because this is really taking a lot of my team's time, uh, which we've done that before. I mean, we pay a huge amount of money to our vendors, and, you know, they should be partners in that if I go back, and I, I talk to a, a, a product development team, I, most of the time, they're usually pretty receptive to that feedback. Um, and I don't think enough Senior living operators or other businesses do that, where we just we pay for a program and we let them kind of dictate. Well, here's where we're going to develop the product. Whereas I'm probably a little bit more of an annoying consumer, where I'm like, this is what I want you to build next for me because I have an idea for how I can use your platform. Um, but that's been pretty successful for us. So hopefully that answers your question. That's probably a more menial, uh, you know, example. I don't expect everybody to get involved in the the de- the minute task of their teams, but. Um, it was a great way for me to kind of build some respect for a team that I inherited where they they knew that I could get in and I could do the job with them, but I wasn't going to do their job for them, but I could help them, you know, clear some of those roadblocks if we needed
1: to. Well, it's very practical, real life examples to um, what is a, a pretty complex system of, of transformation uh, that starts with the leadership. And what an amazing topic. Anthony, thanks for taking time. We know you are super busy um, out leading teams and helping uh, serve the older population and all the communities that Civitas has. We really appreciate your ongoing contribution to the network and to the industry and all the time that you've spent with us. Lucas, this transcends just senior living, this transformational leadership topic, and you can take it anywhere.
0: And that's why I love listening to Anthony because I'm able to take this, uh, with me into my own day job as a general contractor. And the whole time I'm thinking about how I can leverage this and who I need to talk to and how to do transformational leadership in my own construction company. So Anthony, great to talk to you today. And for those that uh, are not connected with Anthony, make sure you connect with him on LinkedIn. Uh, you can go to btgvoice.com and also see many of his contributor shows on our website. It's such great information from a great leader. Anthony is also a well-known speaker. Uh, he's been a speaker at the Texas Assisted Living Association for a number of years. So I'm sure that you can reach out to him and connect with him and get and share ideas at any time. Anthony, thank you for your time today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Lucas. Thank you, Josh. It's been great to see you guys and appreciate the opportunity to uh, have this important conversation. Likewise.
0: And thanks to everyone in our listeners for listening to a great episode of Bridge the Gap.
1: Thanks for listening to Bridge the Gap podcast with Josh and Lucas. Connect with the BTG network team and use your voice to influence the industry by connecting with us at btgvoice.com.